0: Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. We're in a series entitled The Gospel Finding True Life in Jesus. This series encompasses the chapters chapter 17, 18, 19, 20 and 21 of the Gospel of John. As we move into chapter 18, we we notice that we're coming to the the, the climax of Jesus' earthly ministry. We, We notice that the pace is fast and the drama is spine tingling and the results are absolutely stunning. But let's get something straight. Jesus was not a victim Today, we're going to look at the arrest of Jesus, and I want want to remind you, Jesus was not a victim. He knew clearly that he would be arrested. He knew the trial that would follow. He even knew that he would be crucified, and he had been teaching his disciples this over and over and over again. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus made this statement. He said, for this reason, the father loves me because I laid down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. Then in Acts chapter 22, verse 22 and 23 Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost said this, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over, listen, by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. My friend, Jesus was not a victim. Jesus was the victor. And we need to remember that as we move through chapters 18 through 21. Now, in In John's gospel, he devotes nine chapters, chapters 12 through 20, to the final week of Jesus' life. Nine chapters. And here is his stated purpose for writing the gospel of John. In chapter 20, verses 30, 31. By the way, I want you to just take your your Bible and turn there and keep your finger there or put something there and mark that section because we're going to be referring to that several times throughout the message today. So here's what John wrote. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Now understand that John wrote this gospel some 50 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And and so he's he's writing not not a history book. He's picking out certain stories and certain truths that would make the greatest impact for the glory of the gospel. And and so he says in, in verse 30 of John chapter 20, therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. I tell you, friend, true life comes only from Jesus. I mean, you can live everything this world can lay at your feet and never experience the thrill of the kind of life that Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, can provide for you. That is a bona fide truth. Now, I want you to look at chapter 18, verse 1. We'll start there today. When Jesus had spoken these words, he's talking about, the the words that he taught the disciples in the upper room. He's talking about the prayer, the high priestly prayer he had prayed in John chapter 17. And we spent three sermons on John chapter 17. And my goodness, no prayer has ever been prayed on this planet that can match the prayer of Jesus there in John chapter 17. The Bible says when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. So I want you to get the picture here. Jesus and his disciples leave the upper room. They they wind their way through the streets of Jerusalem. Maybe they looked over to the side and they saw a family celebrating Passover. Passover. Now, what did Passover celebrate? It celebrated that time in Egypt when, when God delivered the, the people of Israel from the death angel. And, and he told these families to take a little lamb and, and to sacrifice that lamb and to put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, and the death angel would pass over that family and their firstborn would not be killed remember what John said, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I tell you, as those disciples wound their way through the streets of Jerusalem and they saw evidence of families celebrating the Passover, it must have, it must have meant a lot to the Lord Jesus because he was about to become the Passover sacrifice himself. And and so they go through the streets, they go down into the Kidron Valley, they cross the little brook and they start climbing the Mount of Olives, which is east of Jerusalem. And they come to a garden, a beautiful garden, an olive garden. And they go into the olive garden and it was one of the favorite places that Jesus would go with his disciples. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke recorded what happened inside that garden that night, just hours before Jesus would be crucified the next day. The Bible says in Mark fourteen thirty four that Jesus was deeply grieved to the point of death. And he told his disciples, remain here and keep watch. The powers of darkness were doing everything in their power to undermine the eternal purpose of God. Some people think, well, Jesus was only tempted in the wilderness. And that ended it. No, Jesus was tempted his whole ministry. And right here, the powers of darkness were circling over Jesus' head like a bunch of buzzards. And they wanted to deflect Jesus from doing what God had to determine before the foundation of the world that he would do, and that is, die on the cross for the sin of the human race so that we could be redeemed from our sins. Over and over throughout this gospel, Jesus has said, my hour has not yet come, my hour has not yet come. But when you get to chapter 12 of John, everything changes, and Jesus begins to say, my hour has come. The time had come for Jesus to fulfill God's predetermined purpose. And that is to die on the cross for our sins, to be resurrected from the dead. Now, Jesus had prayed in the garden, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But remember what he prayed at the end of those prayers? He said, not my will be done, but yours be done. And there was no other way. There was no other way for us to be saved. There was no other way for us to be forgiven of our sins than by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, offering himself as a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for us. One of Jesus' 12 disciples bore the name Judas. For three years, he had followed the Lord. He heard Jesus teach He saw Jesus do miracles that defied explanation. He witnessed the compassion of Jesus as he showered that compassion on people that others had rejected. He wanted Jesus to reveal himself as the king of Israel and to put a stop to Roman oppression. He wanted the kingdom right then. And he honestly felt that the best way to force Jesus' hand would be to betray him into the hands of Romans and Jews. But the clear purpose of John's gospel should define what God wants to do in each of our lives this morning. Look look back again. John chapter 20. Verse 31, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the challenge for everyone listening to my voice today is believe in Jesus. You say, but I I believed in Jesus when I was 15 years old. Well, keep believing in Jesus. Believe in him when times are good. Believe in him when you're going through the fire. Just keep believing in Jesus. And if you've never repented of your sin... And receive Jesus as your personal Savior. Believe in him this morning. Trust him as your personal Savior and Lord. And he will give true life to you. Now there are four reasons in this story today for us to believe in Jesus. Number one, his dominion is dynamic. Look at verses 2 and 3. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place. For Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort, that that could be upwards of 600 Roman soldiers. Imagine that. And officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, these are the temple police, And they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. A few days earlier, Jesus had had arranged a meeting with the the, the high muckety mucks among the, the, the religious leaders of Israel. And he cut a deal with them. He said, I'll tell you what, I will give Jesus into your hand for the right price. And you know what that price was? 30 pieces of silver and he sealed the deal with them and he looked for the opportune moment to betray Jesus and hand Jesus over to them and that time had finally come. The quiet serenity of the garden was shattered by the sounds of an approaching mob, a rather large mob. There were Roman soldiers, there were officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They had lanterns, torches and weapons. And guess who was leading this group toward this garden? It was Judas, one of Jesus' disciples who had turned into the betrayer. It's interesting that all previous attempts to catch Jesus and to destroy and kill Jesus had failed. We read about them in the gospels. Why in John chapter eight, this very gospel, Jesus said something to the Pharisees that absolutely lit their fire. Jesus said to them, behold, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew that he was claiming to be God. He was saying to them, I am Jehovah. And they were irate and they picked up stones to stone him. And and Jesus escaped from their presence. And it may very well be that it was a miraculous escape. We're not sure. But he escaped from their presence. But on this night, there would be no escape for Jesus. In Luke twenty-two fifty-three, 53, Luke gives us another insight into what happened when they came for Jesus. He said, while I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this hour and the power of darkness is yours. In the outworking of God's eternal plan, the time had come, the hour had come for Jesus to offer himself on the cross of Calvary as the one sacrifice that God the Father would accept, the one sacrifice that would turn his wrath away from those who would repent and place their faith in Jesus. As we read and study about these events that took place in the garden, we need to ask ourselves a question. Who was in control here? Was it the Roman cohort, the Roman soldiers? Was it the temple police? Was it the representatives from the priests and the Pharisees? Who, Who was in control here? I think it would become obvious to you that Jesus, the Son of God, was the master of the moment. He was in the director's chair and he was directing everything that was happening because he knew what was gonna happen before it happened. And he knew it was a part of his father's plan and purpose for his life. Now, what does that mean to us today? This idea that his dominion is dynamic, it's vibrant, it's it's far reaching, his authority and his sovereignty. Well, I wanna say this to you today. No matter what you are going through this morning, Or what you will go through tonight. Or what you will go through this week. Or what you will go through this month. Or or the next month. Or the next year. No matter what you are going through. You need to know that you can have absolute confidence. That Jesus is sovereign over every circumstance in your life. Every circumstance. And he has the power to turn your apparent tragedies into wonderful triumphs. In Romans 8, 28, the Bible says, and we know, I love that, we know. It doesn't say we hope, we, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So you can rest assured today That his dominion is dynamic and you are a part of that dominion. He's in control of what happens in your life. But here's another reason that you should believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that believing you should have life in his name. Here's the second reason. Not only is his dominion dynamic, but number two, his insight is infinite. Look at verse four. So Jesus, look at this now. Knowing all the things that were coming upon him. Went forth and said to them, whom do you seek? Now, John states with unreserved confidence that Jesus knew everything that was about to happen, everything. The arrest, the trials, the scoffing, the brutality, the scourging, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. Jesus knew about it before it ever happened. Well, he even knew that G- Judas would betray him. The Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 70, 70 to, and 71, Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And Jesus knew it. He knew it months before Judas acted in this betrayal. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to die for the sins of the world. The time had come for him to be gloriously resurrected from the dead. The time had come for God the Father to glorify him and for him to glorify God the Father as he prayed in John chapter 17. In John 13, 1, which could serve as sort of a a, a prelude, an introduction to this whole series of events, the Bible says, now before the feast of the Passover, John 13, 1, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved these men, these disciples, he loved them. He also knew exactly what the disciples needed to survive the danger that was soon to follow the events uh, of the next few hours. You need to know that Jesus knows everything about you. He knows everything about you. The Bible says he even knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He knows your problems. He knows your victories. He knows everything about you. He knows what you will face tomorrow. He knows what you will face next week. And he knows exactly what you will need, not only to survive, but to thrive. He knows. And that should give us immeasurable confidence this morning as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, the the whole purpose of, of what John is recording here is that we would believe in Jesus, that we would believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he is fully God, fully man, and that he has unlimited power, and that he has the ability to give each of us real, genuine, true life. And we should believe in him. How can we not? His dominion is dynamic. His insight is infinite. And here's the third reason we should believe in him. His power is proven. It's proven. Look at verses 4 through 6. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Who are the them? It's that that mob, that mob who has come to arrest the son of God. And he said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who is betraying him, was standing with them. So when he had said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. My goodness, wouldn't you like to have witnessed that? Wouldn't you have liked to have been a fly on an olive tree? And and watch this take place before your very eyes. Now, now listen, when they asked Jesus uh, who he is, he said, I am. And and your, your version of the Bible substitutes a word in there, he That word's not in the Greek language. It's not in the Greek. You you know what Jesus really said? You want to know who I am? I am. I am Jehovah. I am God. And I tell you, when he said that, it was like a burst of glory and power came from him and every one of those standing there who were there to oppose him and arrest him fell to the ground his power is proven now listen as we study the gospel of John we see this over and over again we see him go to Cana of Galilee You don't know how powerful he was? In a Jewish wedding, it was very important to have the wine for the celebration, for the reception. And this poor couple ran out of wine. And Jesus told the servants to fill up the water pots. They were big water pots. Fill them up with water. And then Jesus told them to go and and take some and and carry it to the head waiter and the head waiter tasted it and Jesus had turned the water into wine and it was the very best wine of the night. That's power, folks. Jesus came to Lazarus' tomb, the brother of Martha and Mary and Lazarus had been dead four days. And, And in fact, When Jesus went to the tomb and told them to remove the stone, Martha said, behold, Lord, he stinketh. That's King James Version. He stinketh. And his body had begun to decompose. And Jesus prayed to the father. And and then he cried out, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of that tomb, folks. I tell you, the power of Jesus is proven over and over again. I tell you, he proved it in my life because he saved me. He forgave my sin. He made me a new person in Christ. He delivered me from the powers of darkness into the domain of his glorious kingdom. The power of Jesus is proven. Why why should I believe in him, pastor? Because of his power. This is so important for us. Listen, the powers of darkness that encircled Jesus that night are are still coming after us. If you're a born-again believer, the powers of darkness are coming after you. And we need to know that we can turn to one who has the power to defeat the powers of darkness. And I tell you on the authority of God's word, Jesus has defeated Satan and every demon of hell. Look at what happened next in verses seven through nine. Therefore, he again asked them, whom do you seek? Can you imagine how that must have impacted those old boys? They said, Jesus of Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I'm he. And, and so if you seek me, let these go their way. To fulfill the word which is spoke of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. You see, Jesus, the son of God, was acting as the good shepherd, protecting his sheep. And Jesus forced them to acknowledge that they only had authority to come and arrest, arrest him, not to arrest the disciples. He put himself between danger and his disciples. He's still doing that today. This is a startling statement. The Lord knew that the the trauma of being arrested and possibly imprisoned and and even tortured could shatter their faith and, and, and rob them of their kingdom value in the future. So the Lord Jesus put himself between them and the mob, and I tell you, the Lord Jesus would, will put himself between you and anyone or anything that will, that will threaten your God-given potential. In John 10, 27 to 29, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them. Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus? The Bible says that Jesus will give eternal life to you and they will never perish. Now listen to this. I love this. Jesus said, no one will snatch them out of my hand. I like that. But, it, but he goes a step further. In the next verse, verse 29, he said, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I tell you, your eternal security is wrapped up in the power of Jesus. Paul said, For I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of Christ Jesus. So I ask you this morning how are the powers of darkness affecting you this morning as a believer? Maybe it's guilt and shame from past failures. Maybe it's biting criticism from a friend or a colleague. Maybe it's feelings of inadequacy and unworthiness. Maybe it's a paralyzing sense of unbelief. Maybe it is a betrayal by a spouse or a friend. Maybe it's a sin that has become a stronghold. I tell you, the Good Shepherd cares for you, He cares for you. And He has a power to deliver you and to protect you in those dangerous moments that you face from the powers of darkness. Trust the Lord. Believe in him. Believe in him. Trust him. And that brings me to the fourth reason that we should believe in Jesus. And that is his conduct, number four, is compelling. His conduct is compelling. Look at verses 10 through 12. Simon Peter then Having a sword, I guess Simon Peter got a little bold here when he saw Jesus speak and say, I am, and everybody falls down, right? So Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. Now he wasn't going for the ear, he was going for the juggler. But he's a fisherman. Fishermen can fish, but they're not so good at trying to harm someone, right? And the slave's name was Malchus. It's interesting, the other synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, do not include Malchus' name and does not even include Peter's name. But remember, John is writing this several decades after the fact, and Malchus is, uh, is dead, and Peter is dead, and now John feels free to use their names so they wouldn't get in trouble. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the father has given me, shall I not drink it? So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Don't forget, Jesus knew this was coming. And he orchestrated these events like a maestro leading a symphony orchestra. However, with all this weighing on his heart, he still cared for his disciples, didn't he? He still cared for Malchus, the high priest's servant. Oh, can you just picture the scene? Jesus diffused the danger of this moment. I mean, this could have exploded into a a catastrophe. But Jesus diffused the danger of the moment by by taking Malchus' ear and and healing his ear. Oh, the compassion of Jesus. He was so merciful and compassionate and grace-filled for his disciples and even For this unbeliever by the name of Malchus. So Jesus spoke to Peter about the cup he must drink. In the Bible, basically, it it only mentions two kinds of cups. It's the cup of salvation and the cup of the wrath of God. And this is the cup of the wrath of God that Jesus is referring to. You see, in order for redemption to take place... Something had to occur in the spiritual realm that would divert God's wrath from us and give us a chance to be saved, redeemed, and forgiven. And Jesus was willing to take the cup of God's wrath and drink it down to the last bitter dreg. Let me make sure you have clarity here. The Lord Jesus could have called 12 legions of angels to his defense if he had needed them. He didn't even need them. No, listen, no one could arrest him, bind him, condemn him, beat him, crucify him, or kill him if he had not willingly and voluntarily submitted himself to this kind of treatment. You know why he did that? He submitted himself this kind of treatment to the will of God, submitted himself to the will of God so that you could be saved. Listen, there's a lesson in here for us. It, it seems like every day we live, we have to make decisions, some big, some small. And we need to know the will of God. But so many times we mess up our our lives by choosing our way over God's way. And this story teaches us the smartest thing we can ever do in our lives, whether it's a small decision or big decision, is pray and ask the Heavenly Father what His will is. And I pray we would learn this lesson and that we would follow the example of Jesus. In fact, in Philippians chapter two, verse five, it says, have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind of a servant submissive to the father's will. So here's a challenge for us today. Believe in Jesus. Jesus. Believe, not just generally, but to believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. Believe that it's only in Jesus that we can have eternal life and abundant life. So I ask you today, have you trusted Jesus as your Savior Lord? Listen, every single person, listen to my voice, is going to drink out of one of those two cups. You're either going to drink out of the cup of God's salvation or you're going to drink out of the cup of God's wrath at the end of your life. Can I encourage you? By faith, come to Jesus. Believe in him. Trust him as your Savior and your Lord and drink from the cup of salvation and receive eternal and abundant life. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to one of our, in fact, I'm going to ask our staff and our worship team to come. And I want to invite you in just a moment when we start to worship, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior and Lord by faith, I want you to come to one of our staff members and just tell them, hey, I want to be saved today. I want to drink from the cup of salvation. I want to be saved. And we'll help you. We'll explain to you who Jesus is. We'll explain to you this wonderful gospel that he came to provide for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And you can have new life in him today. But if you're a born-again believer here today, I'm, I'm telling you, believing in Jesus is not just a salvation thing. It is a sanctification thing. It is an opportunity for you to take every circumstance of your life, knowing that his dominion is dynamic, his insight is infinite, his power is proven, and his conduct is compelling. It's for you to take every situation you face as a believer and believe in Jesus to be the good shepherd in your life, to help you, protect you, to provide for you. So I'm going to invite believers to come to the altar and just bow before the Lord and pray to him. Tell him what you need and believe that he's going to give you exactly what you need. He's going to protect you and provide for you. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the amazing story that we've looked at today. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that your dominion is dynamic. Your insight is infinite. Your power is proven and your conduct is compelling. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do a miracle in people's lives today. In Jesus' name,